You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today, we're going to be going through a quick recap of PIMDCon and what we spoke about, the epiphanies that we had while we're at the conference. And then we're going to be taking some questions from the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group. So you're going to want to stick around and you don't want to miss that. All right. So last week, I was at PIMDCon and definitely a great community of real estate investors and got asked a lot of questions. And one of my biggest takeaways from that group was that there's multiple ways to be successful at investing in real estate. You can be passive, so you can invest in syndicates and funds. You can be active, as some people would call it, meaning like you're doing it part-time. You may be building a portfolio while you have a full-time job. What did you just say? What was that word? Active. Active? <laughs> yeah, so actually- I've never heard that before. Wait, wait, where did this come from? So way back in the day, back like when I first got into real estate, I was part of this group, that three-day weekend that uh, I went to. Uh, they called people who did it part-time, but didn't do it full-time. They called them Pactive. So like you weren't like a limited partner. Part-time active? But, yeah, you're Pactive. Like, but like, <laughs> okay. okay, so if you're full-time, you're active, meaning you were like, you know, going all in on it. Right. Whereas uh-huh. like you're packed it's like, okay, cool. I got a job. I got a business, uh, but I want to, I want to have my hands in it. I just don't want to sit on the sidelines. So packed was the word active. All right. Well, it doesn't like pull up anything weird on Google, which is good, I guess. So. Should, we put, should, we should we trademark that? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's not mine. It's not interesting. Mine. All right. All right. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, so you were talking about packed investors. Right, right. So you'd be like part time, you could actually ha- you know, have a business or you could be working and, and do this on the side, you don't have to be full time, or you can go all in on it, right? And you can go full time, you can get reps and all of that good stuff. But one of the things when I did a little talk there, I broke down the tax advantages of investing in real estate, because you know, we've been talking about the last few weeks on this show, that while the short term rental strategy, as well as the real estate professional status are certainly very, very powerful tools. The reality is, it's just not going to be feasible or in everybody's investment strategy or it's going to fit everybody's lifestyle. And oftentimes what I've seen as an advisor or when I'm just talking to people is they realize sometimes, oh, crap, you know, I can't use the real estate professional stats. I can't use the STR loophole. Well, I guess real estate just isn't for me. But here's the thing. Or my losses are gone. And like, what we hear is I don't get any tax benefits. Right. And that's just not true. That's just simply not true. I'm going to give you, I'm going to break it down right now very briefly again for everybody who wants to do it. So here's the first thing, right? Say you're a high income earner and you're in the 37% tax bracket. I'm just going to do this at the Fed. I'm going to simplify this. Okay. Say you wanted to make $55,000 extra, right? You go and you work more hours or you go and you take on a few more clients, right? Well, at the 37% tax bracket, you're paying $20,350 in taxes on that extra $55,000 of income. And we're not talking about state taxes, FICA taxes, or self-employment taxes, or any of that good stuff. We're talking about just federal taxes, right? Now, here's the thing. Let's say that you had a rental property. Say you bought a small multifamily property, whatever the case is, and it generated $100,000 in income, right? I'm talking about rent the revenue, right? Rental income. 
Now you had $45,000 of expenses to operate the property. I'm talking about utilities, maintenance, all that good stuff, property taxes. Now all of a sudden you have, guess what you have? You have $55,000, right? Of cash flow. But here's the thing about real estate that's not true about most other businesses or especially W-2 income is that you have depreciation, which we beat to death here on this show. You know what depreciation does. It's a non-cash expense that reduces your taxable income despite the fact you might generate positive cash flow. So let's say you went ahead, used depreciation, you got some bonus depreciation. Now you had $60,000 in depreciation. Well, guess what? Now all of a sudden you have a negative $5,000 income or you have a $5,000 tax loss uh, for tax purposes, despite the fact you generated $55,000 in cash flow. So, so one 55K in, in cash right. hit my pocket. Like I actually collected that money and I can use that money. Right. You could spend but it. I'm telling the IRS that I lost $5,000 because I had 60K of depreciation expense. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now we know that there's CPAs and, and tax pros, EAs that listen to our podcast. And we also know that you know, or that you're sitting there doing the calculation right now. And you're like, well, that's not technically how it works. We get that. Um, we're just saying net operating income. Okay. So just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Cash I, flow just, equals net operating income, then minus depreciation. Just just go with it. Let's yeah, not I'm get too technical. Yeah. I'm simplifying it. I got really technical on an on episode not too long ago. So I'm bringing it back down. I'm just simplifying it for the sake of illustrating the concept that I just like to put that disclaimer out there. Yes, we know what we're talking about. Hopefully, you know, however many episodes we're in, you understand that we know what we're talking about at this point. So don't beat us up about simplifying it too much. <laughs> yeah. The point of what I'm trying to say here is that when you look at if you're a high income earner or you're, you know, you're worried about paying too much in taxes, what ends up happening is if you can shift some of your earned income into these more passive sources like real estate then the tax benefits is the tax advantage income, right? In this example, you made $55,000 from a job or a business, but guess what? You paid taxes throughout the nose for it. And in this one, you made $55,000 and you paid no taxes. In fact, you had a tax loss, which would be carried forward to the future years, be used to offset future passive income. That's just the one one benefit, one out of yeah, it's It's not very sexy though. That's it, why that's why people don't like hearing it, right? Yeah, it's 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 not. It's not it's not like you're gonna be it's not like you're gonna walk home with a twenty thousand dollar refund, right? Or right. a fifty thousand dollar refund and you're like, Yes, I got this refund from the IRS. But and you get to go tell all your friends in your Facebook group that you got the big refund. <laughs> right. Right. And then they're going to get FOMO and then they're going to want to uh, do reps. Yeah. And when they realize they can't do reps, if they can't do reps, assuming, um, then they're going to be in the same position we're talking about right here. So you got to show them this, this tax benefit of tax right. advantaged income. And then, but, but I consider that like real investing, right? Like you're creating tax losses that maybe you can't use today, but you just made $55,000 that you're not paying tax on. So if you can right. multiply that, if you could do that 10 more times, Whoa, now all of a sudden, do we even care about real estate professional status? I got 550K of cash flow coming in that I'm not paying right. tax on. Do I really care about qualifying as a real estate pro at that point? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you get a little boost from it. But like the point is, is that if you focus on the fundamentals of investing in real estate, of taking the income that I've earned from my job and investing in assets that are going to produce great returns, great cash flow, which admittedly is much harder in this debt environment. And well, even if you don't have debt, just this environment in general, if you can do that consistently over time, not over one year, not over 24 months, if you're just trying to do this over 24 months, you're not going to make it right. Yeah. Like real estate investing is like a 30 year commitment. You do this for a long time. You will be 60 years old 
enjoying your extremely tax deferred cash flow and you're going to look back on on all like the the anxiety that you had around trying to do real estate professional status and short-term rentals and stuff like that like you, you're going to like laugh it off and you're going to be thankful that you didn't attack it as hard as maybe other people did right. so the point is is that you know if you can use real estate professional status and short-term rentals to boost and help accelerate your wealth building that's great but don't get caught up in in the FOMO that goes on in all these groups, man. It's just not worth it. It's not worth your time, your sanity. Uh, it's definitely not worth the risk that you're going to be taking right. by, you know, trying to deploy some of these strategies if you can't actually qualify, which unfortunately I think a lot of people get roped into. Yeah. But the long game, man, it's just not it's not sexy. It's not sexy to talk about 30 years of committing to a strategy. Right. It's not sexy to talk about tax advantage income or the fact that as your property appreciates, you have equity buildup and you could take out tax-free cash out refinances and rebuild your portfolio and tax deferred sales on 1031 exchanges and step up in basis and all the real true benefits investing in real estate. Just people don't like it. But you know what? I'll give a quick story before we move on here. So I was at this event, I was talking to a gentleman and uh, what he did was is he ended up taking night shifts which had a higher pay rate in order to decrease his hours for his job effectively so that he could qualify as a real estate professional. He made the real estate professional status and guess what happened? His accountant was not comfortable with the losses that were generated and his accountant didn't qualify him as a real estate professional, even though he met the requirements. So like there's two lessons in here. A, don't bend over backwards and try to change up your lifestyle and, you know, necessarily if you don't want to uh to try to reach one of these statuses right at the same time also make sure you're working with a uh, real estate cpa who understands the tax code so that if you do achieve these benefits that they actually do right by you and take it because it's a very unfortunate story and it was just more details i'm not going to go into there but i was like oh my god i can't believe that happened so be smart and just realize that real estate professionals that short-term rentals absolutely powerful strategies if it fits into your investment plans your lifestyle go for it. But it's not the end all and be all. It's icing on the cake. Well, and we don't really talk about this as much as I think that we probably should. But we have a community that okay. is literally built for you, landlords, real estate right. investors, to effectively gut check the advice that you're receiving. It, 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 we have a free version, which we try to engage people in, but right. it's, it's a huge group. And then we have a paid version, which we engage people in consistently daily right. weekly right. Right. uh we've got masterclass and all this cool stuff but the point is is that people will come into the especially the paid group they'll come into that group and say my accountant said this this and this and then we'll go we'll give them this citation that citation that citation give them this memo give them this cca so the point is is that even if you want a second opinion we have resources for you to get those second opinions that are outside of just listening to this podcast passively or reading our writing or and stuff like that like you can actually come into our groups into our communities and ask your questions and get answers. The free community, a lot of people answer, by the way. like There's a lot of people in there that have listened to a lot of our content, have taken some of our courses, and they give good answers a lot of the times, but sometimes not so good. So, right. so just be careful if you're in the free community who you're getting answers from. But in that paid community, it's us and our advisors that are giving the answers. So it's, it's CPAs and EAs. It's a good resource to get a second opinion. If you're ever in that type of situation, if you're talking to your accountant and you're, you're kind of like, like, well, that's not quite what I understand it to be, or I heard something differently, that, that triggers the need to get a second opinion. So come on over and we can help you out. 
Absolutely. So if you want to join the free Facebook group, which we're about to take some questions from in, in momentarily, it's www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash Facebook. And you could go ahead and join that free group. Again, it's a huge group and it's it's somewhat overwhelming. So we try to answer questions while we can. But if you really want to get in touch, you really want to make sure you get an answer to your question. We have our insiders group. I'm in there every day. I make sure every single question does get answered by either myself or one of our team members. So you can check that out by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com taxsmartinvestors.com slash insiders. You get a, a 30-day free trial if you want to check that out. But having said that, it's like a perfect transition into answering some questions from Facebook. Okay. And I just pulled up the Facebook group right now. And we have the first question, believe it or not, it is on, it pops right up in my feed, the real estate professional status reps question. You right? planned that, you I dog. Did, <laughs> I, did not, I did not. Facebook algorithm just happened to hit me with that when I when I pulled up. The Heard group. you talking about it. So it fed it to you. It did. It did. Alexa's over there listening to me. All right. So here's the question. Reps. I, I'll have 750 hours in another month, but I have a syndication investment that I like to make now. Should I wait to make the investment until after I have the hundred, the 750 hours? Or is it okay if it's in the same calendar year, 2023? Well, we've got a we've got a couple issues here, but to answer the latter question, if you make an investment and your asset is placed into service, whether or not you're investing in a syndication or just buying rentals yourself. If the asset is placed into service in the same year that you qualify as a real estate professional, then you can do a cost seg, seg on the new asset that was placed into service. You can get the bonus depreciation. It will create a tax loss and you can use that tax loss to offset at least your other passive income. And if you're a real estate professional and you materially participate in your assets or in the one that at least is creating this loss, then you can also use that loss to offset your regular income, business income, W-2 income if you're married and have a spouse. So to answer your question, as long as it's all in the same calendar year, but what matters is pl that placed in service date on the newly acquired asset, whether or not I'm investing in a partnership. Now, the main issue that I think that we need to explore here, and we're not gonna be able to explore it, so, but you know, that this person should explore is the grouping election for all rental activities. Uh, because if you are a real estate professional, First, you have to assess what trade or business are you a real estate professional in? Like maybe this person is a uh, a real estate agent. And so they're a real estate professional because they're a real estate agent. Right. But if the only real estate investment that they have is this new syndication, there's zero chance. There's no way to actually, there's no way to do it as a limited partner. You cannot materially participate in this syndication. So I could be a real estate professional because I'm a real estate agent because I work 2,000 hours a year in a real property trader business and it's all I do. So I meet my two real estate professional tests, but that could still mean nothing because I can't materially participate in the syndication investment. So what you have to look at is how am I qualifying as a real estate professional? If I'm qualifying as a real estate professional by not being a landlord, you should always take everything seriously, but I got to work a little bit harder on the material participation piece. If I qualify as a real estate professional, because I'm a full-time landlord, a little bit easier to do, right? Now I'm just making a grouping election. I'm grouping all my rental activities together as one. And now that syndication investment is into that group. So I'm a real estate professional. I materially participate in the group. The entire group is non-passive. And the losses coming from that syndication are now non-passive. But when I'm a real estate professional, because I do a real property trader business that is not being a landlord, then I have to go and I have to 
build my real estate portfolio, my rental portfolio, and I have to materially participate in it. I have to make that grouping election. It's it's an extra step that I think a lot of people forget about. Like like sometimes we get flippers and developers and builders that come to us and they're like, well, I'm a real estate professional, so all my losses are non-passive. It's like, no, that's not how it works. It's a little bit easier for you than say like a physician, but that's not the end of the battle there. You, I mean, you you still you still have a lot to do to prove that you materially participated in your rental activities and because of this little syndication piece, we can't materially participate in a syndication as an LP. I've got to make that grouping election. So I've got to have my own portfolio, make a grouping election, and that will group in that syndication investment. For sure. So I hope that answers your question. The gentleman's name is Matt. So if you're listening, we just got your question live. All right. We got a few more in here. We're going to go ahead and... Uh, <laughs> This is not planned. This is not staged. I'm literally scrolling my feed. Okay, here it goes. And we're going to take more than just these. this this question. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Another question about the short-term rental loophole. That's the title. Okay. All right. All right. This is going to be the last. So these are the only two questions we're going to do on realty professional status short-term rental loopholes. All right. Yeah. Because we've recorded like 14 episodes. We have two series. We have a rep series and an STR series. So if you're interested in that, if you don't know what we're talking about right now, go scroll back through our podcast episodes and look for REPS and str listen to those episodes you'll be totally caught up all right so let's take the short-term rental question and then let's find another question that yeah. doesn't have to do with this <laughs> yeah i just saw one below it for lp so we got you next okay so um i bought a short-term rental in october 2020 the first rental wasn't until 2021 and i was not aware about the personal use rules until now so for 2021 and 2022 i think i may have stayed longer than the rules allow me personally to use uh still need to go back and check my question is can i qualify in 2023 because I did not use I did not stay in the rental property in 2023. Okay, so this is actually a good short-term rental question. This isn't the typical Okay, yeah, you go ahead. You you take this one. Okay, okay. So, long story short, you can in 2023 because the personal use is determined on a yearly basis, long story short. So, if in 2023 you rented out the property on a short-term basis, so 7 days or less and we all know the rules, okay? Then it would not be considered a residence and you would theoretically be able to use the short-term rental loophole. So, that's that's it. That's it. I don't know if there's anything to add there, Brandon, but uh relatively straightforward as far as I'm concerned. All right, so we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna we're gonna move right along here. Okay, uh, I listened to a recent episode, episode two forty. So it was actually last week's episode where it mentioned that K ones qualified non recourse debt could be used for a limited partners basis, which can in turn help possibly not to have to pay gains on distributions that were more than capital contributed. Some K ones even provide a partners basis a basis worksheet where the shared liability is used to increase the basis. What do tax professionals say to limited partners who cannot count the financing debt that they personally signed up for? Are they wrong? Okay, so can you ask that question again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so basically basically what she's saying is... It seems like it's a complicated question. I just want to make sure that we get it again. Basically, she's saying it sounds like she's a limited partner and she's wondering, do limited partners get a portion of the qualified non-recourse debt assigned to them as a limited partner, even though they did not sign on the loan personally. So in other words, they're not on yeah. the hook at all. They're just a limited partner. Yeah. My understanding is that generally speaking, yes, limited partners are allocated Q&R. You do need to read the operating agreement to understand exactly how that allocation is flowing. But Generally, yes. I will also say that we have a course for limited partners, not to constantly be promoting our digital products here, but we do have a course for limited partners. 
it's uh, hosted by uh, Kaylin Deaver, who leads up our, we call it our private equity group, but basically it's our tax group that works with syndicates and funds, the the general partner side. She built built a course for limited partners because she does a lot of like Q&A for the GPs and all their investors. So she figured she would help all the investors out. Uh, you can check that out. Where can you check that out? It's www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash limited partners if you want to check that out. Okay, we got to we'll take a few more here. Um, this one, of course, this is a good one. I own commercial property with my husband as an LLC partnership. It's an RV park and mini storage facility. My CPA says I don't file corporate taxes that were due September 15th. It falls under my personal taxes due October 15th. Is this right? Extension deadlines, obviously. So it sounds like, okay, there's a few things going on here. So let's break this down. Okay. First things first, LLCs between a husband and wife are typically taxed as a partnership as the question mentions. Uh, so typically when that happens, you have to file a partnership tax return. It's form 1065. That is due March 15th. If you extend your tax returns due September 15th. So it's not a corporate filing. It's a partnership tax filing. And that's due September 15th. Now, having said that, there are exceptions in some community property states where if a husband and wife have LLCs taxed as a partnership or have a multi-member LLC, rather, it can be disregarded for tax purposes and put on your Form 1040 as if it were a single-member LLC. So it's not really clear on the details, too many details there, what state uh, the person who posted the question is in. But typically, if you have an LLC as tax as a partnership, you will have a partnership tax return. It won't go directly on your Form 1040. All right, here's another one. Can GPK1 losses from a syndication reduce taxes on your W-2 income? Hmm. If you're a general partner in real estate syndication, assuming the syndication is rental, like a long-term rental, like a traditional rental property, like multifamily, for example, the losses from the syndication, even though you're a GP, are still going to be considered passive unless, okay, unless you qualify as a real estate professional. So that's the short answer to the question. If you qualify as a real estate professional, then you're going to be able to take the losses. If not, they're going to be passive. So, all right. Uh, so that's it for today's episode. That's all the questions for today. Again, if you do want to join the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group, you can navigate to www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash Facebook, and you can join the community today. We'd love to see you in there. But until next time, we'll see you on the next episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.